I trained a guy, right, who went on a stag do into the Wop Wops, which is uh, New Zealand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which is a New Zealand terminology for countryside, up into the forests, into the hills and things. The Wop Wops. The Wop Wops. I love that. Yeah, the Wop Wops. It was part of a stag do, and they stayed with a guy who I think I think he may have had a, nas- a TV show on Discovery Channel. Oh wow! So this guy was reasonably well known as a sort of survival expert. It's a great stag do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And this guy, th- this sort of survival expert, had prepared a brand with the guy's wife's name. Oh! And they branded his ass. Amazing. With his wife's name. Oh, that's far love. out. <laughs> Does that get any more Kiwi as a stag do? <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty much as New Zealand as it gets, isn't it? Oh, that's amazing. I love that. I wouldn't have done. <laughs> God, that must have hurt like hell. Hello, Tom. Good day to you, Sam. I almost said good morning, then I panicked. Good evening. No, good day. Good day. Good day. Let's be inclusive. Yeah. For all of our listeners around the world, including, I'm thrilled to say, Tom... We now have two listeners in Sudan, which I'm very excited oh, wow. about. That's truly international, isn't it? <sighs> wow. Yeah. Do you think they're expats? You know, someone from the USA, the UK, maybe? That's strange, isn't I it? I hope not. I'd like to think we're providing <laughs> education to African nations in need. <laughs> well, I did. I, I talked about Egypt last week, didn't I? Maybe that was, maybe that was the appeal. Maybe it was. Yeah. Maybe it was. Yeah. Drawing in listeners from different parts of the world. Yeah, and we and we have two from Kazakhstan as well. So there we go. Are you serious? Every, everywhere we mention, we get two listeners from. Excellent. Antarctic? Uh, no, actually, no. <laughs> no, that was the exception to the rule. <laughs> <laughs> Although, given it has a permanent population of zero, a hundred percent of the permanent population of the Antarctic are listening to us. There we go. There you go. Good. And that's a, that's a continent. Prove well, with it? stats. It is, it is a continent. We've got a hundred percent of a continent listening to this. Yeah, absolutely. The entire permanent permanent population, the entire citizen population of the Antarctic. Bloody good show. <laughs> uh, right. What's the theme for this week? We always do this, Tom. We forget to tell people what the podcast is first. You start big oh, well, and then you, you go need to small. Do that. Sorry. Sorry, I'm jumping ahead. You I'm are jumping ahead. Stampeding off towards the clitoris. Sorry. You're so... You can't... <laughs> what? <laughs> you, start, you start with a bit of foreplay and... Uh... Wow. <laughs> um, okay. Have you not seen that Monty Python sketch? I have sketch? seen that Monty Python sketch, yes. <laughs> I, I know the one you're talking about, but lacking any kind of context, wow. <laughs> <laughs> came a little bit out of the blue, did it? Fair enough. So to speak. Hello and welcome to That Was Genius, a podcast which is increasingly becoming somewhat ruder, in which Tom, who's the other chap who's gone straight for down there, Zs, and me, Sam, who's fondling around a little bit up top and making small talk awkwardly before we get down to business, discuss history topics on a theme each week. The theme is agreed the week before, but everything else that happens is a complete surprise. So two very different stories on one theme, and the theme this week is, in honour of it just about still being Pride Month, depending on where in the world you are, it's homosexuality that's right homosexuality we've touched on homosexuality a few times haven't we we but have this week we're dedicating a whole episode a to whole homosexuality. episode to homosexuality i have a feeling it might be a little bit ancient greek i don't know why i'm just getting a feeling <laughs> yes, it might go that way it might go that way it might just go that way well i haven't gone ancient greek tom i've gone slightly later i've gone roman but we've both oh, okay, gone classical okay. again Yes, yes, we have. I suppose we should probably explain to listeners, we do let each other know what topic, just in case we do the same topic. Yeah, we're not allowed to know what it's about, but we name, yeah, we yeah. name the name a day or two in advance, just to make yeah. sure that we haven't done the same thing. Because it would be very awkward, wouldn't it, if we turned up 
with the same thing prepared and it, yeah yeah very awkward. if one of us didn't get the message and we both wore the same outfit so to speak yeah, to, yeah, the, both, to the yeah. party that's the audio analogy isn't it <laughs> it certainly is so yes the theme this week is homosexuality we both avoided the middle ages because uh, frankly there's there's not an awful lot going on and then to be honest all of the modern persecution stuff kind of done quite a bit by a lot of people not to say it's not important but it's kind of been covered fair enough exciting news this week though tom on the gay history front the 50 pound note which is the highest denomination note in the uk it's as high as we get uh, there's a new one coming out and it's got alan turing on it do you know about alan turing that's tom? right yeah yeah absolutely so this is breaking the what was code was it it the... was the enigma code he oh, was the enigma code that's right obviously there was a huge team of men and women responsible and the women don't get nearly enough credit for for their role in it who were were responsible for breaking down the german enigma code in World War II, which was the code that sent all of the commands to all of the German units. And Alan Turing was kind of the, the key code breaker who did an enormous amount of work, but was born with the absolutely inexcusable criminal attribute of being gay, which was illegal in Britain at the time. And he was horribly persecuted and chemically castrated because of it yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and ended up committing suicide as a result. It's a horrible, horrible yeah, story. Well, that's very... debatable, isn't it? That is debatable, but yes, yeah, yeah. It is, it is, is, yes. an argument, yeah. But basically was, was horribly persecuted despite his uh, incredible role in, in World War II. Uh, and he's now been put on the £50 note, so there we go. A man who contributed a huge amount and had an enormous national worth, but who was never accepted because of who he was, is being put on the banknote of enormous worth that's never accepted in any shop. So there we go. <laughs> nice. Nice. See what you did there. Excellent. £50 notes, by the way, for our non-UK audience are only really used for tax avoidance. <laughs> They're used for paying builders cash in hand. <laughs> or presents from your auntie. Or presents from your auntie, if you've got a particularly yeah. generous auntie. Yeah, then they're just not... Ex- to impress you. They're not accepted anywhere except by criminals. <laughs> the only other thing is, is a £5 coins. That's the only thing slightly more exotic. Uh, yes, indeed. Which you very, very rarely see. Uh, you only ever really see them advertised for £30 in collector's editions. I've, yeah, exactly, on eBay. I've, I've actually got a couple of these. I've got a couple of £5 coins in the drawer next to me. On my, at, my, at my desk. I do indeed, yep. In honour of Alan Turing and the fact that neither of us are wealthy enough to have a £50 note and you live in a completely different country, maybe you we should... to toss it? Yeah, let's flip that today. Are you willing to wait for me to go and get the keys to my safe so that I can get it out? I, I'd love that you're so tight-fisted that you keep £5 in a safe. <laughs> It's also got my passports and a number of other important things. Oh, blah, 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 <laughs> so, blah. Wait, wait a moment, please. Wait a moment. I'm, I'm just, <clears throat> well, since I usually run off and Tom does silly impressions of me whilst I'm getting my post. Okay, I'm Tom Berry. I like to train people whilst I sit and scratch my ass and tell them what to do. And I pretend that I'm a fitness professional. Hello, are you back? Yes, were you making sillies while no. I was away? No. <laughs> What have I got here? Okay, I'm just emptying my safe deposit box now. Sorry, I've got to get close to my microphone. I've got uh, oh, I've got fifty. Oh, I've got a fifty pound note. I've got two. Have you? It's got yeah. Here we go. This is this. And this is from my auntie. That used to be Matthew <laughs> Bolton. It was Matthew, Matthew Bolton, Bolton. Used to be on it. Famous there industrialist. Okay, well let's those. let's flip the fifty pound note. No, no, wait. This is getting even more exciting. Okay. I've got an excellent picture of me from university. Very handsome chap. Oh, what else have I got? I've got... This is Japanese currency, I think. Oh, yes. This is very exciting. I've got some dollars. I've got some American dollars. How many of them have I got? Are they called a buck? I've got about ten bucks. Or a dead president. Or a green back. A green back? Yeah. Sounds like like a dragon. Okay, I found my five pound coins. Excellent. Right, listen to this. 
Oh, weighty. They are. Oh, <laughs> the first one. What's that got on it? It's uh, 1947 to 1997. Oh wow. The second coin is actually the Millennium. Oh, so it's, it's celebrating the Millennium. Right. I'll, t- I'll flip that one. Do you want a picture of Her Majesty? God bless Elizabeth II. God bless. God bless. Or would you like 1999 to 2000? Well, Tom, I think given that this week's topic is homosexuality, I'm going to go for the massive queen. Oh, I like what you did there. Yeah. Excellent. Right. I'm going to flip it. Oh, that. Oh, you get the queen. Excellent. Sam wins. <laughs> I even put that on the back of my hand. I did it real proper like. I think I'm going to let you go first this week. Oh, God. All right. Well, give me five minutes just to pack up my safety deposit <laughs> box. All right. Put my life back in. My valuables. My valuables. My passport, I'll put that away. Right on my keys in front of the microphone. <laughs> jiggle, jangle, jiggle, jangle. <laughs> this is indeed a rich audio tapestry. It is. I'm just going to have a drink of my hot ginger as well. I beg your pardon. You've got Prince Harry there. Boris Becker. <laughs> Boris Becker. <laughs> <laughs> now, I've got a cough. Have you noticed I'm, I'm, I'm sounding a bit sexier than usual? I had noticed. Well, you couldn't sound much sexier, Tom, if you tried. But there's definitely something well, going not... around at the moment. I've got a cold as well. Probably not the same one, bearing in mind where I live and where you live. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's definitely the same one, and I'm blaming you for giving it to me, despite the fact that we've not actually seen each other in person for four years. Yeah, probably is four years. Anyway, so I have decided to talk about Pelopidas, Thebes, and the Sacred Band. Have you heard of any of the above? Vaguely, 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 but I can't think where from. So this is going to be an adventure for me. I think I've, I've, I've heard of the Sacred Band. I think you'll find this one fascinating. I think you'll actually enjoy this one. Um, as, as opposed so, to normally. Oh, no, no, no yes. <laughs> well, I just tolerate. I, yeah, sometimes, you know, sometimes I discuss something that you know a reasonable amount about, I think. Whereas this one, I don't think you're going to know much about, but I think you're going to go, ah, oh, quite a bit. What are you doing over there? Sorry. Are I'm you just... eating a mint? No, I had something on my lap that I was trying to put down without making too much noise and was failing. So I think we'd... let's just throw it on the floor. <laughs> uh, right. So, yes, I'm going to talk about Pelopidas. Thebes and the Sacred Band. And I've also had the pleasure this week of delving back into Plutarch, one oh, of my favourite authors. I love old Pluty. But Pelopidas, Thebes and the Sacred Band does actually sound like a band name for the 1970s. It, does, it sounds very prog rock. Yeah, it probably does, doesn't it? Pelopidas, Thebes and the Sacred Band. Or it sounds like a Beatles album. It does, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I've used Plutarch as a main source of information before in this podcast. He's a, a Greek biologist. He's a Greek biographer from the first century. Don't think that by centuries. making a fart noise, you're going to get that edited out. The more fart noises you skillful. make, Tom, the more it stays in. <laughs> well, did you realise how skillful that was to be able to fart on demand like that? Just bang. That's pelvic floor control, Sam, and that's because I don't <laughs> pee when my body wants to pee. I, I pee when I want to pee. Total control over my bowels and bladder. I really hope the bit that explains that reference stays in the podcast otherwise <laughs> it's gonna be a very odd aside <laughs> but it's a footnote at the end of the podcast <laughs> <laughs> okay so he's a greek biographer from the first second centuries ad and he has a chapter where he compares and this is in parallel lives which is one of his most famous books he's got a chapter where he compares this chap Pelopidas, with a roman chap called marcellus i'm not going to talk about marcellus i'm going to talk about Pelopidas, and it's the best source of information this account of Pelopidas, for the sacred band which is where the homosexuality comes in but you're just going to have to bear with me for a little bit before we get on to the homosexuality <laughs> oh i heard that many times at public school <laughs> yes hold, uh, on, hold on thank you teacher <laughs> Yeah. Okay, after the spelling test. 
Uh, so Thebes was a very important city during the Mycenaean period, up until the late Bronze Age collapse, which I discussed last week. You did. And then after the Greek Dark Age... Yeah, good, I know, I'm just linking it all together. After the Greek Dark Ages, so when we move into the Archaic period and then the Classical period, which is... Uh, Archaic period is 8th century to 480 BC, which is the second invasion of Greece by the Persians, and the classical period is 4th, 5th century BC. Thebes becomes one of the most important city-states, or I think it's pronounced polis, or polis maybe, I don't know. Uh, one of the polis, most important yeah. Polis, yeah, we'll go with polis. It becomes one of the most important city-states or polices in Greece. Poli. Yeah, poli- I, I don't think it's pronounced polis. I think it's got a slightly strange pronunciation, but polis seems to be the most sensible way. Anyway, and so it's one of the major city-states alongside Sparta and Athens. And I can't go into too much detail about the allegiances because I'll go on forever. But the allegiances between these three main city-states and also the other smaller city-states changed quite a lot, particularly when faced with external threats like the threat from the Persian Empire. Thebes is closely associated with a lot of well-known Greek myths. So Heracles and Dionysus, closely associated with Thebes. Dionysus being the fun god. He's the good. He's the fun <laughs> god. He's the one who likes to get pissed and he is enjoy theatre and shag and uh, lots of Athenian plays are also set in Thebes and this is quite interesting as an aside and uh, that's largely because we have a lot of written evidence from Athens we don't have a huge amount of written evidence from Thebes for for various reasons and the Athenians used to like to address rather edgy topics like violence incest these sort of dark themes and kind of like to put that in Thebes because it's sort of a little bit further away from home felt a little bit more comfortable to explore those themes in some other town it's like setting gritty dramas in bad cities yeah and a sort of a foreign like city Baltimore, so it feels a little yeah. bit less close to the bone and there's also a huge amount of almost brotherly rivalry it would seem between Thebes and, and Athens because they are actually very very close geographically as well so it's a little bit like the English and the French you know it seems to be that sort of a relationship Pelopidus now, I know it sounds like a, a sort of comedy Greek name. Quite a funny one to pronounce. A little bit like... Sounds a bit like poo. Plop, yeah. plop, plop. Plop goes the turd in the toilet. It's a little bit like... Oops, t- I did a plopidus. <laughs> it came out of my sacred bag. <laughs> Have you heard of Testicles? So there's, there's Testicles. <laughs> he's the, heard he's of the, Testicles. Yeah, the ballsy warrior. There's a few other famous comedy... Well, not famous... Um, I made them up. Um, <laughs> and I think I think a number of other people have made them up, thinking they were also being creative. <laughs> Spectacles. Spectacles was the short-sighted statesman. Yep, it's the dwarf all over again, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I've got a whole list. I've got fifty of these. Popsicles was the permanently cold philosopher <laughs> of Athens. We got Recycles, who's the playwright who wrote Pizza Bosses. Pizza. Oh, fuck. That's the- <laughs> Ruined the punchline. <laughs> he wrote that he wrote the play Pizza Boxes Go in the Green Bin. And then there was De Barclays, who is the poorly prepared military commander. So those are a few of my funny Greek names Very for your good. enjoyment. Very good. Uh, <laughs> my personal favourite is the uh, consistently outdoors philosopher Lostakes. Nice. Who's <laughs> always sitting on his front doorstep, yep. Uh, <laughs> always looking always yeah. <laughs> Try to look inside, Tom. Try to look inside. Which pot did I put it under? Pelopidas was from an honourable and wealthy Theban family. Ah, uh, the Pelopidopidos of Thebes. The Pelopidopidos. <laughs> That's the name of the book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I suppose it could be, couldn't it? Because, you know, the, the, the Odyssey is about Odysseus. It the Iliad is. is about Aeneas. The yeah. Pelopidopidop could be about Pelopidas. <laughs> the Pelopidopidop. Uh, so, 
I really like Plutarch, as you know, and I like some of his little moral teachings. And I've got here one uh, from early on in his account of Plopidus. Because Plopidus was well known for being very selfless and for using his wealth to help other people who deserved uh, assistance and aid. So he was he was a very modest chap with his money. A quote, For most wealthy men, as Aristotle says, either make no use of their wealth through avarice or abuse it through prodigality. And so they are forever slaves, these to their pleasures, those to their business. Something for us all to just consider for a moment there, Sam. Indeed. A little bit of little bit of Sage. there. Sage. Yes. Sure. Lovely colour. Kitchen. <laughs> Kitchen walls. Pelopidas, one of his best friends, was a chap called Epaminondas, a king of Thebes. And Epam... Oh, God, this is a mouthful. Epam- why, do you, why do you do this Epaminondas. to yourself, Tom? I know. I know. I've even tried to write it out so it's easier for me to say. Epaminondas. Epaminondas. There you go. Such a mouthful. So Pelopidas was the fit and the strong one. And Epaminondas was the intelligent and wise one. And they were both sort of politicians who were very, very close friends. They worked very, very well together. At the Battle of Mantinea, 385 BC, probably haven't pronounced that right, but hey, the two fought for Thebes in an alliance with Sparta against the city of Mantinea. And in this battle, Pelopidas was severely wounded. But Epaminondas comes to his aid and defends him bravely before the Spartan king rescues them both. So they're very, very close friends. And it's quite, that's quite a famous story from Theban um, history. It's quite important I give you a bit of background about the relationship between Athens and Sparta because it'll, it'll set up the sacred band nicely. At a later date, the Spartans, with the support from within Thebes, managed to attack Thebes and take over the town. So the Spartans had been envious for quite a while of Thebes' growing power. Sparta, Thebes and, and Athens seem to have this sort of brotherly rivalry that often turns incredibly violent and with thousands of people's deaths. <laughs> like all good brotherly rivalries. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Pelopidas was a key player in a successful scheme amongst the Theban nobles to re-enter the sort of main citadel in Thebes and take it back from the Spartans with some allies from Athens. This was successful. Pelopidas was then elected a co-leader of Thebes. And this is apparently where the concept of the sacred band is created. And it was probably built on an earlier concept. But again, I'm just going to leave that as a bit of a teaser because I just need to put a bit more background before I explain more clearly what the sacred band was. Athens then decided to side with Sparta after this incident, as Sparta led a military campaign into the land surrounding Thebes, uh, the sort of Theban sort of sphere of influence, if you will, so the cities that were loyal to Thebes. Sparta saw that Athens had pissed off Thebes by being a bit of a turncoat, and so one of the Spartan generals attempted to take Athens sort of off the cuff, knowing that the Thebans wouldn't come to Athens' aid. Are you following this? It's really quite confusing, isn't it? It is quite confusing, but I am following. I'm there. I'm in the room. I'm, ju- I'm just listening at the moment. There's a time to make dick jokes, Tom, and a time to listen, and right now I'm in yeah, listening mode. Yeah. You're getting the idea. Yeah, you're getting the idea. You, you're sort of getting a feel for this interrelationship between these three major powers in Greece. Dick jokes will come. Don't you worry. Hey. <laughs> Athens and Thebes thus teamed up against Sparta. So by Sparta doing this, they actually managed to push Athens and Thebes together. Right. Now we have the Battle of Tegra. And again, I, for anyone who is fluent in ancient Greek, I do apologise. My pronunciation is probably going to be slightly off here. There were quite a lot of ancient Greek words to try and remember. And this is 375 BC. Pelopidas finds himself in a position where the Theban army needs to fight a much larger force of Spartans. There are 300 Thebans, but it's their crack fighting squad. It's the sacred band, which was, as you know, in this time, it was all hoplites. Mm. A hoplite was, I suppose it'd be, uh, it was was an infantryman with a shield and a spear. Basically line troops. 
Yeah, and they, they, they would all line or... up. All these hoplites would line up very close together. The shield would be protecting not only you, but the person to your side. And you would thrust the spear at your opponents. And that's basically how battles were fought during this period. And the Spartans had as many as three times the number of men as the Thebans at this incident. And this was the first time that a numerically superior Spartan army had actually been defeated. So it blew apart the idea that the Spartans were unbeatable, which had been a sort of concept uh, that had been quite prevalent in Greece at the time, that the Spartans were the preeminent military force. And this is where we find out from Plutarch about the sacred band, because it was a sacred band that fought this battle. Here we go. Right. So let me find the quote. You might be able to hear the rustling of paper, because I printed out all of this stuff from Plutarch. Here we go. Uh, where are we? But some say that the band was composed of lovers and beloved. Dot dot dot. For tribesmen and clansmen make little account of tribesmen and clansmen in times of danger. Whereas a band that is held together by the friendship between lovers is indissoluble and not to be broken, since the lovers are ashamed to play the coward before their beloved and the beloved before their lovers, and both stand firm in danger to protect each other. So this was what was unique about the sacred band. It was made up of 150 homosexual couples. The theory being that they were so loyal to each other that they would stand fast and, and fight to the death. I mean, I say homosexual couples. I think that is debatable. It seems almost certain that some of these relationships were sexual but a lot of them might have been just been very very strong friendships there may have not been a sexual element to them and it seems to have been an older soldier with a younger soldier so maybe someone in their late 20s early 30s with someone in their late teens early 20s they used to sort of pair up but there certainly seems to be a relationship between them that is is stronger than just a friendship let's see if we can get you another quote this is shortly after in in plutarch's account i read this and i didn't quite understand what plutarch was trying to get at whether it was Plutarch's attempt at a euphemism. Um, <laughs> however, it was not the passion of Laius that, as the poets say, first made this form of love customary among the Thebans, but their lawgivers, wishing to relax and mollify their strong and impetuous natures in earliest boyhood, gave the flute great prominence both in their work and in their play, bringing this instrument into preeminence and honour. I'm not sure if he is talking about a flute or whether that is a reference to one's flute, Willy. so but anyway the pan pipes or pan's pipes i I, yes i see what you did there or pan's people yes (laughs) i don't know how that's connected other than possibly sticking it in pan's labyrinth yes (laughs) right so that was 375 now we have in 371 the battle of leuctra and this is the spartans and the thebans again there are over ten thousand spartans on this occasion And the best hoplites formed a phalanx on the right wing. And that was very traditional in this period. Your crack fighting squad would go in the position of honour, which was on the right wing. And my understanding is that's because when you fight as a phalanx, you've got your shield in your left hand, your spear in your right hand. Things tend to drift to the left, I think. And so there was an advantage to having your strongest people on your right wing. I wonder if that's where the phrase right hand man comes from, or if that's much later. I suspect that's much later. Anyway, carry on. I don't know. You could research that. But I probably will. Right-hand man. I wonder where that does come from. I like finding out the origin of sayings. And there were around 6,000 Thebans. So 6,000 Thebans versus about 10,000 Spartans. And both sides had a couple of thousand skirmishers and light cavalry as well. The Thebans lined up in what's called an oblique order. And this is supposedly the earliest reference to an oblique order, which is a reasonably well-known military formation. 
and the oblique order meant that the Thebans focused their attention on the right flank of the numerically superior Spartans with a view to winning a local battle and hopefully scaring the shit out of everyone else, causing a bit of panic and then overcoming a larger force. So did the opposite of the film Sparta or 300, sorry. That's the Mopley, yeah, where the Spartans, 300 Spartans defended the narrow pass, yes. Mm. Oh, and indeed, right-hand man is not necessarily Greek, but it does mean the military commander on your right, the traditional position of privilege. Well, bugger me, that was very clever of you, Sam. Thanks. I'll take the points. Yeah, yeah, bloody, yeah, you get clever points. So the Thebans had one of their phalanxes, which would have been on their left wing, focusing on on the best Spartan forces on the Spartan right wing. They made their phalanx 50 deep, 50 deep. Yeah, that sounds a bit Whereas usually it would have been about 8 to 12 deep. Yeah, the ones at the back haven't got much to do with their spears, have they? (laughs) Just standing around smoking fags. Oh, God, this is boring. (laughs) Yeah, they're just providing moral support. Go on, lads. They're just tickling the backs of the heads of the people in row 38. With their long spears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, lads. Hey. Or tapping them on the shoulder, and then when they turn the left, they, <laughs> yeah. they poke the right. <laughs> hey. uh, yeah. So 50 deep, which wouldn't be very nice if you at the front, would it? Because you know you know, if you fall, <laughs> 49 people are going to trample over you. <laughs> they can fill your position. So that phalanx was 50 deep, and the rest of the line was only about 8 deep. And what this allowed was for the Thebans to win that local battle, cause confusion among the enemy, and win the battle. Now, significantly, Epaminondas led the Thebans and Pelopidas... Let me do that bit again. God, I'm not just going to avoid his name altogether. That guy. Pelopidas in this battle was leading the sacred band, and Pelopidas was probably on the left wing as well, slightly set back, just ready to take his sacred band into the battle whenever he saw fit. And it looked as if at one point during the battle, the Spartans were about to outflank this really heavy left wing of the Thebans. And that's when the sacred band came in, outmaneuvered the Spartans and won the day. So after this battle and the Battle of Tegra a few years earlier, the sacred band became the preeminent fighting force in Greece. Ah. They became the elite fighting squad. They became the, the ones that were envied, the sacred band. And to think that armies now don't really allow gay people in them a lot of the time. When they do, it's it's very it's very new. Absolutely. And females as well often, isn't it? So much for don't ask, don't tell. <laughs> as many listeners will know, just because someone is gay doesn't mean they're not as hard as nails. <laughs> no, absolutely. <laughs> and, and being gay doesn't necessarily mean you're camp either, nor does being camp not mean that you're not hard as nails. That said... I was rather amused at the thought of an exceptionally stereotypically camp 300 armed men <laughs> who are hard as nails going into battle <laughs> yeah. and destroying everything in their path. Oh, you dirty little Spartans. Come here, you. I am going to put my spear right through your chest. I mean- We've. I imagine most of our listeners, if they're into history, you kind of know what the standard Greek soldier looks like. They're quite fabulous. The baseline Greek soldier. Oh, they are. Very shiny bronze steel, a beautiful plumage on the helmet, absolutely wonderful feather work, <laughs> short shorts. Oh, a lovely short tunic. And, and some very decorative yes. armour oh. with rippling muscles on it. Uh, the, the baseline is camp. Yeah. So I want to see where these guys took it. I... <laughs> I want to see where the sacred band went because I'm imagining <laughs> I think 300 had... full-on drag queens just storming <laughs> <laughs> storming down the battlefield in their heels. In their yeah. high heels, struggling to keep up, wibbling in the, wobbling at the ankles. <laughs> but again, destroying everything in their path. <laughs> Abs- damn, damn straight. 
playing Kylie Minogue out of the speakers. Banging it out. You just wanted to start singing I Will Survive and the person on the front row of the 50 Deep Phalanx is like, all right, piss off, Gary. It's raining, man. Hallelujah. As, the sp- as they, as the, as they yeah, smack as the them around the head with their handbags. off cliffs and into rivers. Hallelujah, it's raining, man. These big burly Spartans. It's going to be like one of those sporting montages, isn't it, from a chick flick comedy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, promised myself I wouldn't do any stereotypical jokes this week, but there we go. Oh, I don't think people <laughs> mind, Sam. I don't think people... It's coming very much from a place of love and respect, believe me. Yeah, oh, all of our banter is. I think if, if you're not willing to take the piss out of someone, anyway... I remember watching a YouTube video. This is quite a while ago now, but it was it was a CCTV camera footage, or it was someone on their mobile phone poking their head out of a window, and it was a group of lads outside a club picking on a big black gay guy, and this black gay guy is giving it all that. Oh, behave, boys! Oh, leave me alone! Oh, oh, don't! Oh, don't! And then obviously this this guy just gets to his threshold mm. where he starts to feel threatened. And it's funny as fuck because the high-pitched <laughs> voice disappears at the click of the fingers. He has a deep fucking resonant voice and he goes, you lot can fuck right off. And he just starts having a go at them. It was just brilliant. Good. So, yes, this, we move forward now 33 years to the Battle of Cheronea. One of my favourites. 338 BC. Again, pronunciation probably all wrong. Oh, you like that battle, do you? It's a good Oh, beautiful. Do you know why it's so good? It's got Alexander the Great and his dad, Philip II. So we're talking... It does. The Macedon... It's got the whole family. Yeah, it's a, it's a family affair. It's the Macedon Empire that is forming under Philip II, and his son, Alexander the Great, is at this battle. The Macedonian Sarissas, which were longer spears... Now, we have talked about the phalanx. The Macedonians famously created this empire with some military innovations, and they were really, really well thought through, clever, really very clever military innovations. Like longer spears. Yes, they, (laughs) they they assessed the warfare of the time and thought, hmm... I wonder if we made the spears slightly longer, we'd have an advantage. We'd be able to stab them from much further away. Yes, lo and behold, they did. Uh, they poked them from slightly greater distance. And it got sillier and sillier and sillier and longer and longer and longer spears until ultimately you ended up with something 50 metres long that required 20 men to handle. <laughs> but my God, you could get them from a way away, Tom. My God. Oh, you, you could. <laughs> And it was like it was basically like a giant snooker cue on a rest. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's what it was. They just they'd have a series of giant rests, yeah. like A-frames, and they'd just poke them with their big snooker cue. It was like one of those poles that window cleaners use. Absolutely, all Lithuanians, you know, sometimes they help out. <laughs> so, see what I did there. See what I did. That was that was a that was a, that was an uh, Eastern uh, European joke. It was a, it was a free movement of labour, Joe. <laughs> hey. <laughs> so, so there you go. And and in this battle, the Thebans are defeated by this this incredible military innovation of having slightly longer spears, <laughs> and all three hundred of the sacred band are killed because oh. they weren't prepared. Yeah. So with that, one that very long spear this... blow, they were all just walking yes. in a straight line. <laughs> all three hundred of them. And this 80 metre long spear came through. <laughs> and the Cyclops had a lovely kebab that night. Um, <laughs> and that was the end of the Sacred Band. Now, this isn't particularly unusual homosexuality, or actually, it was pederasty, it was actually quite common in Theban culture. So, Philip II, who I've just mentioned was the Macedon king, actually spent time in Thebes as a youth, as a prisoner. 
And there is rumour that during this time he actually had a homosexual relationship with a Theban general. And he, he was a young boy at the time, so prime example. Yeah. We should probably explain, shouldn't we, what well, pederasty yes, is? Yes, because we've mentioned it actually before on this podcast. I've, I've bored we it have. up. And it's kind of like... It's kind of like a mentoring system, in a way, in which the the older boy, or the older man, shows the younger man, or the younger boy, the ways of the world. And that usually includes, you know, politics, it shows them the basics of public life, of military life, and it also shows them what goes where and what you do with it. So there was quite often a sexual element to it. And it didn't necessarily mean that there was any kind of relationship, it was kind of just a sort of a half-teacher, half friends with benefits kind of arrangement that had the added benefit of meaning that the local boys weren't chasing after the local noble women and so there weren't any unwanted pregnancies that would you know waste a valuable son with an unworthy marriage because he'd accidentally gotten someone pregnant so it was a it was a system of the time should we should we say it's it's a fantastic summing up and you can see how it is a cultural development designed to solve a problem you're probably right it probably was a problem associated with young men going around trying to shag anything in their path yeah it was a combination of mentoring and contraception yeah yeah <laughs> contraception yeah yes <laughs> and it was it was rife theban culture was renowned for its pederasty oh yeah i mean throughout greece and and rome as well it was very common in the roman empire <laughs> yeah it's it's yeah. only really died out I think quite a long time after the Roman Empire, actually. It lasted for quite a while. Yeah, through the Catholic Church. <laughs> oh, they had other means. <laughs> they, they, <laughs> yeah, yes. Let's, it's not completely died out, actually, has it? Let's be honest. It's just, no, it's just no. on a more massive scale now. It's more institutionalised, possibly. Yeah. And there's actually a, a lot of homosexuality in Theban myth as well. And as you alluded to, extend that to... Greek myth in general and and Roman myth. The founding myth of Thebes actually involves a character called Laius raping a king's child. And I think I read somewhere that's actually the... Yeah. And I think I read that that's the earliest example of of homosexual rape. The the earliest recorded example. The old cultures and traditions are the best, aren't they, Tom? Yes, yes. Heracles supposedly had a gay relationship with a chap called Iolus. I think I pronounced that wrong again. Anyway, and there was a shrine to him in Thebes where the sacred band members actually made vows to each other, you know, made vows of love. And there's even homosexuality in the story of Narcissus, and Narcissus was associated closely with Thebes as well, as far as I understand. So there you have it, Sam. That is the story behind Thebes and the sacred band and Pelopidus. Fantastic. Oh, that's really interesting. I had heard of the sacred band before, but didn't really know much of their, much of their story. And now I do. 300 of the finest fighting men. Bound by love. 300 big, burly... Drag queens. <laughs> drag queens. Absolutely. Absolutely. With, and never say this to their faces, Tom, spears that weren't slightly as long as the uh, guys next door. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. If you want a big spear, go to Macedonia. Absolutely. The gingers, Tom. They say that about the gingers. <laughs> I was also imagining 300 men with leather hats, metal studs and handlebar moustaches. All in a line. <laughs> Young man, <laughs> sort of, get yourself up the street. <laughs> Wiggling their hips in unison. <laughs> uh, big hairy legs poking out the bottom of their leather shorts. <laughs> 300 leathery hoplites. Wonderful. <laughs> in the warmth of the Greek sun. Oh, oh, oh no. <laughs> oh, chafe. Indeed. Well, Tom, well, well, well. From 300 gay soldiers to two gay soldiers. That's right. I am underwhelming as ever with um, with my story today. This is unusual for me, Tom. I'm going classics two weeks in a row because last week I did the Greeks. Two weeks in a trot. Two weeks on the trot. And this week I'm going to ancient Rome. Or more precisely, Tom, I'm going to ancient Syria. 
in the late 3rd and early 4th century AD. And I'm going to introduce us to two friends and secret Christians, friends by the way, inverted commas, called Sergius and Bacchus. Now, Sergius and Bacchus were two soldiers. They were very senior staff officers in the Imperial Army that was based in what is modern-day Syria at the time. Sergius was the army's, uh, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, Primisarius, which is kind of the most one of the most senior staff officers. So he's like second or third in command of the like the administration of the army. And Bacchus was the secondarius, which is kind of his underling. And the two are revered as probably the most important Catholic saints to gay Christians because oh. their story crosses over between traditional Christian persecution under the Romans for believing what you like against the odds and sexual persecution today for loving who you like against the odds and of course against the same Christian church that was being persecuted yeah. 1500 years ago 1800 years ago because as well as being secret Christians Tom it's believed by many that they were also secret lovers now This theory comes from a historian called John Boswell, who's a US historian who made this claim in the 1990s. I think in 1994, he wrote a book on homosexual relationships in the Roman Empire and brought these two guys into it. It's been widely refuted by many other historians, but it is a very popular story. And frankly, fuck it. There's so many holes in this story, like most other saintly stories, or hagiography as it's called, that it's probably all balls anyway. So it's as good as interpretation as any. Let's, Let's go with it. Let's it. go I, with it. Fuck it. Why not? I think not? It's, it's good that you've yeah. It's good that you've contextualized that. Let's now just roll <laughs> and have fun. Yep. So even if the two weren't actually lovers in a relationship, they were probably erasti, which is a kind of pederasty, as we said before. It's the kind of the the older one who was a kind of more senior one, Sergius, showing Bacchus the ways of the world, including what goes where. Yes. (laughs) So they probably weren't together, but they probably were very, very close friends with benefits, if you like. Anyway, Rome at this time was still very much a pagan empire. Christianity existed, but it was sort of a minor cult, uh, spreading very quickly, but not considered a kind of a threat to the traditional order particularly. So Rome was still pagan, worshipping myriad gods with myriad practices, lots and lots of different religions. Now, the Christian faith at this time in about the 4th century AD, 3rd, 4th century AD, went through several periods of sort of tacit acceptance and then localised persecution. So the traditional story of Christianity in the Roman Empire is that the Christians were downbeaten and, and trodden on and had to practice in secret. And that it was all absolutely horrible and they were constantly being fed to lions. And that's only half true. (laughs) (laughs) So for large periods of the time, the Christians were getting on with life quite normally. There were a lot of senior Christians as a growing cult in the various imperial households. There were a lot of Christians in the army and they were pretty open about their faith. They were allowed to get on with it. No problem. Lots of other minor faiths in the empire it's all cracking. They were usually accepted pretty openly throughout this period as long as they worshipped the other Roman gods as well and paid homage to the emperor. So you have the traditional Roman gods which are part of the Roman kind of government structure if you like. You need to pray to them as well for blessings and, and, and good omens to the empire in times of war and things like that. So everyone would go and pray at the Temple of Mars. You were expected to do that as well as being Christian and you had to pay homage to the emperor and swear loyalty to him. Sometimes, to make sure that they were doing this, interestingly, Christians in the Roman Empire were forced to publicly offer sacrifice to the Roman gods in front of a commission to prove that they were still loyal to the empire and were given a written certificate to say that they, they oh, said nice. they'd done it. And a little badge. And a little badge. To sew onto their swimming I'm trunks. a good Roman, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
I've got my sacrifice to deer badge. I've got 50 goats for 50 goats for Jupiter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But most Christians bought these on the black market or fled to areas where people cared less. It tended to be the case that the closer you got to Rome uh, or other major administrative centres, the more kind of dogmatic people were about this. So sometimes Christians who really didn't want to go through with this and didn't want to buy on the black market fled out to the outskirts of France and, and, and Britain and places like that. But generally, Christians were doing absolutely fine for most of this period. But all of this changed in the year 303, with the start of the Diocletianic persecution, which is a word that I'm struggling to say. Big mouthful, it is a big it? mouthful. Yeah, that is a big mouthful. <laughs> so the emperor was a big fan of the old gods, who he saw as bringing. They're good. They're fun. Yeah, they are fun. They've got a lot. They've got much better stories. Sorry, Christianity. They're but bit, they're, <laughs> I know they are a bit more fun than the Abrahamic religions, aren't they? That, oh, they just they just are. Yeah. Why have one when you can have? Hundreds, yeah, who were always bickering. Absolutely, and let us not and forget. Meddling. Let us not forget the Romans had a goddess of door hinges. Tom, it's it's a yes. religious system which has all bases covered. Yeah. In fairness, I bet if I googled it now, there'd be a saint of door hinges. To be fair, yeah, because <laughs> we've gone over this before. The Catholics have a saint for everything, including traffic lights. But yes, Diocletian was a big, big fan of the old of the old gods and their better stories, and he thought that they would do a far better job of protecting the empire than any of these newfangled gods. And so he started to persecute the Christians and some other minor religions that were growing at the time. There were some exceptions. For example, he didn't persecute the Jews because they were a very ancient religion. And he thought, well, uh, they're probably fine. But the newfangled ones, which were growing in other parts of the empire, like the Christians, started to get a bit more persecuted. They were forced to publicly swear loyalty. They were forced to attend public ceremonies and festivals to the old gods. You will enjoy yourself. (laughs) You will come to the festival and you will enjoy yourself. Aye, Tom, it's not the Holy Roman Empire, it's the Old Roman Empire. Aye, you come to my festival, you worship my gods. We have a nice food, you do anything that make me look bad. Oh my god, I bring down the, all the heavy circles of hell on you. Hey, you Christian boy, I make you an offer you can't refuse, huh? I say, you come along to this party on the weekend, huh? You sacrifice 500 days, I leave you alone. Huh? You don't, I kill your horse. Oh, fantastic. We have gone from a Holy Roman Empire to a Old Roman Empire to apparently a Mexican Roman Empire. Well done, Tom. Hey, so no, back. This is, no. <laughs> no, I'm being Sicilian. I'm being a Sicilian gangster, <laughs> Sam. You're being silly. I'm not. I'm being Sicilian. Sicilian. Okay, I'm a Sicilian. And besides, being mean to people always sounds better in a German accent. You know that. I know that. Our listeners know that. It was a very apt choice. It was an apt choice. Although if you're going to do it in a German accent, you have to be overly polite whilst also being threatening. Oh, hello. Okay. You seem to be a very good God-fearing Christian. I will uh, possibly give you something else to fear. If you do not come to my festival and sacrifice a God, I think we may have a problem. And you don't want to have a problem with the Holy Roman Empire. No, no, and no, And while no, no. you are saying this, you take your leather gloves off your hands very, very slowly. <laughs> Indeed. And when you see a sign of resistance, you slap them around the face <laughs> with the leather gloves. Indeed. You take off your very stylish Hugo Boss uniform, Winter Spring 1939, and then you uh, stand over them looking fabulous. With your blonde hair and your blue eyes. And then you beat the living shit out of them, Tom. Why did it all go, why did it all go slightly camp? I don't know. I, I, I remember that Hugo Boss made the uniforms and then decided that they just looked wonderful. Nothing if not well-dressed. Fair, fair <laughs> enough. Guess, okay, guess yeah, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, 303, it starts to go a bit pear-shaped for the Christians. 
because Diocletian saw the Christian faith as being kind of slightly detrimental to the fabric of the Roman Empire. That didn't stop him from actually hiring an awful lot of Christians into senior positions in his imperial household. But he wasn't a big... Bloody hypocrite. But he wasn't a huge fan of the religion. So Christians who had been quite open about their religion started having to keep their heads down a little bit and not stick their heads above the parapet for fear of it getting lopped off or eaten by a lion. To be honest, most people didn't care. They didn't want to shop their neighbours or friends. People were pretty much apathetic. But it was best not to be too vocal about your faith. Hypocrite is Middle English from Old French via Ecclesiastical Latin from Greek. Oh, well, there we go. That's quite a journey. The word means actor. There you go. So anyway, on to... was that worth? <laughs> yeah, Is that worth interfering. Yeah, whatever. It'll, no. it'll probably make the cut. <laughs> okay. So Tom, Sergius and Bacchus. That's the background information. Blah 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 blah. Christians sometimes persecuted, sometimes not. Now being persecuted, Sergius and Bacchus. These two guys were born in Syria, but they were Roman citizens and they served in the army in Syria as well, where they gained lots of imperial favor, particularly amongst the emperor Maximian, and they had very high status. But. When the reforms came and Christianity started to become a more persecuted religion, they made a bit of an error, Tom. They were standing outside a pagan temple with a visiting Roman dignitary, the Emperor, the, uh, emperor Galerius, or the later Emperor Galerius, and his bodyguards. He went inside to make a sacrifice, and they refused to go in. Oh, you pair of prats. So, whilst they could have done what most Christians were doing and just caught, kind of gone along with it, they said, no. Which is not a particularly wise thing to do when Rome has just started persecuting your lot and you already need a license to say that you worship the old gods and are still uh, friends with the emperor. And you get a nice certificate. I mean, it's And you not get a certificate. It's not like you don't get bad. anything for it. Yeah. <laughs> to refuse to go into a temple with someone who was about to become the emperor. And well, it, did not, it did not look good. Let's put it that way. They did not make themselves any friends that day. Incidentally, we've got the Emperor Galerius, the future Emperor Galerius. We've got the Emperor Maximian. We've got the Emperor Diocletian. I know that I'm mentioning a lot of emperors, which is very confusing, but that's because there were a lot of bloody emperors floating around in the Roman Empire at this time. It wasn't because these two lived to the age of 400. Uh, No, unfortunately not. No, that does happen in some biblical stories, but unfortunately not this one. It was a period known as the Tetrarchy, when Rome was still one empire, so later on it got split into the Eastern Roman Empire and the Western. Roman Empire. At this point, it was still just one Roman Empire. But to try and divvy up the workload a bit, it had two senior and two junior emperors running it at the same time. So at any given time in this period, you had four emperors, usually one pair who were more kind of militarily inclined and one pair who were a bit more politically inclined. So minimum of four, but at any given time, you also usually had some kind of uprising going on. Someone was being kicked out, someone had been assassinated, someone had died. So it was entirely possible that you could have four emperors plus another team of emperors somewhere being a bit rebellious plus another couple waiting in the sides so there's an awful lot of fucking emperors floating about so Sergius and Bacchus have refused to go in and offer this sacrifice made the emperor look bad showed themselves up as Christians who aren't loyal to the empire they're in pretty big trouble fortunately they're high ranking so they weren't killed on the spot they were summoned to the court of the emperor Galerius who tried repeatedly to convince them to sacrifice to the Olympian god Jupiter, the big Roman god. When they refused, again, he had them demoted and started to have them tortured. And it sounds like they had a pretty horrible time, Tom. Well, just fucking sacrifice a few animals for crying out I know. Out. How All hard you is need that? to do is stab a goat. Just stab the goat. It's not even a euphemism. Just stab the goat. It's fine. Stab the goat on the altar. Pretend you like him. God doesn't mind. I mean... The Christian God is omnipotent and omniscient. Indeed. So he knows that you're not doing it because you want to. No, he knows that you're doing it to try and survive. And I'm sure, being the all-forgiving kind... Yeah, yeah, just go and apologise later. That's the point. Go to confessions. And also, 
if you're sacrificing to gods who don't exist, the one who does exist, who you know deep down does exist, probably isn't going to care that much. Just putting it out there. I mean, this is still, granted, this is still Old Testament times, really. The New Testament's still being written, so you've got oh, you've got angry oh, that's God. Different. No, I was about to say that's different. If it's the Old Testament God, whoa! But no that's wonder. Still, yeah, he was a bit of a cunt. Gift, wasn't he? <laughs> he was. <laughs> yes, he was. For someone who has all omnipotent power, he's frightfully insecure. The Old Testament God. I'm just putting that out there. The slightest, the slightest sign that you've got any questions about him or for him. And he'll burn your family. <laughs> I mean, really, he needs to chill out a little bit. He needs to take some time, oh. take a holiday. He's worked very hard all week, seven days, seven days without I mean, rest. In all honesty, he needs a long the weekend. The fact that he's so insecure, it's a fair. You know, it, it makes you think there are a few other gods up there. Oh, possibly yes. You know? Yeah, who's and he? He's getting competitive, and he just wants all your attention. Indeed, who's he? Who's he sour about? Who's he competing with? Yeah, yeah. Who knows, Tom? Thor. Who knows? <laughs> Thor. <laughs> with this big hammer and bash, assorted, bash, and assorted bash, other superheroes <laughs> Spider-Man <laughs> yeah. so anyway these two poor guys Tom they were forced to dress up in women's clothes and paraded through the streets which is the first slightly comedic and possibly not all that odd. harrowing part of their torture <laughs> yeah. slightly odd punishment isn't it was this... <laughs> oh it was awful Tom they had to wear beautiful purple silk and a beautiful headband it was awful. Were they like, oh, I've always wanted to do this. <laughs> oh. <laughs> who, who knows? I'm feeling quite, who knows? Feeling quite kinky. I like this. This is, de- oh, this is definitely a punishment. This is definitely a punishment. Do you mind if we go by the forum? <laughs> I feel like being publicly shamed in the forum. Guys will be there. <laughs> yeah. I've heard there's a chariot race on. Should we go there? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm walking across. Oh, everyone's looking at me. And I feel fabulous. So they were dressed in women's clothing and paraded through the streets. That, this was actually so quite, strange. I know it That's is. Really it was actually a punishment. really common punishment at the time for people who were considered to be in positions of power in the military that they'd abused. How old was the emperor at the time? Oh, like oh yeah, presumably. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to call you Mr. Pooeypants. <laughs> and you're going to have to walk dressed as a woman. <laughs> Mr. Pooeypants. <laughs> They were then sent off to be tried for their crime of impiety against the gods. And they got, by all counts, Tom, they got a pretty sweet deal. The Romans really did not want to punish these two. It was arranged that the judge would be a guy called Antiochus, who was another senior military officer, so already kind of sympathetic to them, and was also an old personal friend of Sergius. So they really did line up this kangaroo court to get these two guys off. And as it turns out, he was wearing his wife's dress. (laughs) He was, yes. So they rocked up. Wearing uh, beautiful wife's tunics and the latest fashions. High heels, High heels, absolutely, yep. Yeah. The court couldn't keep their eyes off them, Tom. Distracting, <laughs> distracting them with a bit of cleavage. So Antiochus gave them as much leeway as he could, but the pair still refused to renounce their faith. <laughs> Doing basic instinct, <laughs> yeah. changing your leg positions. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. As a, as a oh God, they just occasionally they just, yeah, they, just, <laughs> they just sat on the front row of the courthouse, just occasionally spreading their legs. <laughs> Whilst Antiochus, the poor judge, just starts to sweat gently. Yeah. <laughs> biting his biting his bottom lip. <laughs> a bollock lops out and falls off the side of the chair. Beautiful. <laughs> Nothing more seductive than a big dangling bollock, is it? <laughs> uh, giving the judge the come-hither eyes. <laughs> uh. I'll give you something to sacrifice. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, anyway, anyway. So Antiochus, despite them coming on to him, gave him as much leeway as he could. 
uh, but the pair still refused to renounce their faith or accept the Olympian gods. So, punishment time. They were taken off and tortured. Bacchus was pretty quickly beaten to death by his torturers within the space of a day or so. Oh shit, that went from being dressed as a girl to being beaten to death. Yeah, it did, wow. yeah. It went, from, it went from one to a hundred pretty quickly, didn't it? Um, yeah. So he didn't last very long at all. He was pretty quickly beaten to death. But the next day, his spirit appeared before Sergius whilst he was being tortured, telling him to be strong and endure his punishment so that they could be together forever in heaven. Hold on. Quite why people think that they weren't gay, I don't know. What? But no, surely if, he wanted to, if they wanted to be together in heaven, he should get killed as quickly as possible. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot about this story that doesn't add up, Tom. But if you're going to be a martyr, you know, yeah. be a martyr about it. Don't just die on day one like an amateur yeah put up a good show absolutely and Sergius to be fair did put up a good show he was beaten for several days and then marched around with wooden boards nailed to his feet which does sound pretty uh, pretty unpleasant oh, who, th- who thinks these things up I th- you know what the Romans were like Tom bored bored uh-huh. is what the Romans were that does sound particularly horrible significantly worse than having to walk around dressed as a woman is having to walk around with boards nailed to your feet although from all that practice walking in heels I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they were, maybe he was pretty good at it. Six-inch nails are nothing compared to six-inch kitten heels. Jesus. <laughs> anyway, he was eventually taken to a place called Resafa in, in uh, modern-day Syria, which is actually just outside Raqqa, where the uh, Islamic State were based, which was later named Sergiopolis in his honour, and he was beheaded there in 303 AD. And the church absolutely fucking loved them for it, Tom. These two guys are two of the earliest known martyrs and revered as a vital pair of saints in the church, particularly in the Eastern and Eastern European churches, where they're revered as military protectors. They are what's called paired saints, so they are saints together. Absolutely not gay, Tom. Not gay, according to the church, but they're definitely saints together yeah. who are never not by each other's side. on their own, not saints. Not saints, no. If you no. get one of them to turn up to your social gathering, yep. not a saint. No. Uh, to be honest, when they're on their own, they're actually a bit of an arsehole, Tom. Yeah. You can't, they drink too much, they start saying things they shouldn't, spilling gossip, being frankly a little bit unpleasant about your family and your close friends, and they're just a bit of a dick really individually. Together, absolutely fine. They they balance each other out, they're charming, life and soul of the party, on their own. I I wouldn't, to be honest, definitely not saintly. Okay, I won't invite them. No, one of them pissed in my cheese plant last time, can't remember which one it was, probably back as he's a liability. (laughs) Pissed in your cheese plant? Yeah, the house party was never the same again, it's just a faint odour of urine for the rest of the What type of cheese does your cheese plant grow? A uh, planty cheese, Tom, planty cheese. Have you never heard of a cheese plant before? No. Oh. What's a cheese plant? Are those ones that look a bit like Swiss cheese. They've got whole what? The leaves have holes in them. Yeah. With holes in it. <laughs> yeah. There we go. We're all learning something today, aren't we? How strange. But yeah, they're revered as a pair of saints in the in the Eastern Church, particularly because they stuck together through thick and thin. They're always shown together and always shown kind of as a, as a couple of saints. Absolutely not gay, Tom. No, not lovers. Not at all. So there are dozens of very, actually very major churches dedicated to these two saints around the world. And they are always shown together, never to be separated. Which is sweet, really, isn't it? Yes, it yes. It's kind of sweet. Especially when they shared so many beautiful moments. Indeed. Together, they like shared... walking through the streets dressed as women. Indeed. Parading, being tortured. Beautiful. Just beautiful. So the church is... And I keep making the same joke. The churches do tend to overlook the whole they were probably sleeping together thing. But to the gay Christian community, their story is really hugely important. It's the kind of the sad irony of two guys who are persecuted for being open about their faith and their beliefs and the people they were having to be used as a symbol of people who who have a faith but are not allowed to show it to that faith. So unsurprisingly, the story of slight hypocrisy in the church has really been taken to heart by the gay Christian community. I said earlier that it's all bollocks, and it probably is. 
<laughs> Most religious history is frankly bollocks. I had to study hagiography, which is the study of saints at university, and it's all absolute nonsense, and academics get in a right tizzy about it, but it's all written by monks hundreds of years later, and there's never any contemporary accounts of this stuff, so it's all nonsense. And this is the case as well. So let's tear the story apart a bit just to finish this off. Because actually the gay or at least sexually experimental side of it is probably the most likely part of this story. Oh, okay. Despite being the most controversial bit. The account of the saint's story, their passion as it's called, was written hundreds and hundreds of years later and it gets a lot of things wrong. For a start, the emperors in the story are all wrong for the time frame. They're not not massively, but they're all a few years out. The idea that two senior officers in the army would be secretly Christian is nonsense because they supposedly died in the same year the persecutions began. And before that, Christians were pretty well tolerated in high Roman society. So there's no way that they would have been secret because they'd have been in the army for donkey's years and everyone would have known that they were a Christian already. So there certainly wasn't anything secret about it. Places don't add up. They're supposed to be in places that didn't exist at the time and weren't in places where they really should have been. There's a bit in the story about monks finding their bodies, which is completely untrue because there's no evidence of any monastic activity for hundreds of miles around in fact it's entirely likely that the stories of Sergius and Bacchus have been mixed up with an earlier story which is otherwise lost the story of saints Juventus and Maximinus and they've all gotten confused and and conflated over the years so anyway it's all nonsense but it's a lovely story of torture and love (laughs) that is now held in very high esteem Uh, and it's the symbolism really that matters Tom because it would as we both know be totally unlike a religious organisation to centuries later ascribe one interpretation of a possibly entirely fictitious event as the sole and true interpretation whilst overlooking all other interpretations and nuance and then persecute dissenting voices and individuals based on that one interpretation we know Tom that that wouldn't happen religions would never do that religions would never do that because that's not what they're like they're they're all about love and acceptance and and complexity absolutely and complexity and likewise Tom it would be and and accepting that you don't know all the answers indeed Tom that's what what religions love yeah absolutely and also it would be entirely unlike organised religion to claim victimhood for centuries over uh, perceived discrimination and then to persecute its own followers or outsiders in exactly the same manner for exploring their own personal beliefs we know that religions wouldn't do that tom because that's not yeah. what they're about yeah. <laughs> in certain cases with within a century yeah, yeah. Go from, within two go or three years grossly persecuted to persecuting others it, it would never happen no absolutely not it's not what they're about tom it's just not what they're about so in short the moral of this story is is love who you want to love Tom because if there is a god he probably doesn't care whether you're gay straight Roman or barbarian Um, although as you said if you don't want to get killed it's probably best not to make too much of a fuss about it because he probably doesn't care if you sacrifice a goat to Jupiter every so often there we go Tom well exactly there are plenty of pilots in the universe for him to worry about there certainly are it doesn't give a shit about your life it really doesn't (laughs) you are we all are fucking insignificant god does probably doesn't care that much he's got other things to worry about uh, it, a giant giant game of marbles that he's playing <laughs> oh good men in black reference yes i suppose it is isn't it? <laughs> yeah that wasn't deliberate but i think it is a men in black reference the final scene of men in yeah, black yeah, yeah absolutely well there we have it well that was very interesting sam i did actually find that very interesting good i, I like that story I'm, I'm happy we've been able to delve into classics two weeks on the trot. Yeah. Excellent work. Absolutely, yeah. I, I'm, I'm glad too. I even got to talk about fighting. And I got to talk about torture. It's brilliant. Have you have you noticed that, that if I'm not talking about people getting lost, I'm talking about people fighting in formation? <laughs> it's your two things. If it's not phalanxes, it's shipwrecks, Tom. I, yeah, absolutely. That's what, that's what I like. Well, 
Tom, we should probably pick a topic for next week, shouldn't we? I had some thoughts, but I forgot what Did those you? thoughts were. Well, do you want to do science or slavery? Slavery. Slavery? Easy peasy. Should we do slavery yep, next I week? Think that's a great topic. Perfect. Slavery is a very good topic. So, slavery it is. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us this week for our little delve into the history of homosexuality. If you have any thoughts, comments, you'd like to share with us your own personal stories that you would think we should have talked about and we didn't, do get in touch with us. You can find us on social media. Just search for That Was Genius. And we're the one that comes up with a picture that says The Rather Silly History Podcast. Or you can email us. That was genius cast at gmail.com and we will see you Has anyone you ever week. emailed us, Sam? Uh, we've had one email. Oh, excellent. What was that about? Wrong number. <laughs> Viagra. It was about Viagra. <laughs> yeah, one of our listeners was promising to be able to make my penis three inches longer. I think, who, yeah, who needs yeah. five inches, Tom? Oh, who needs right. five I'm inches? I'm starting to understand. <laughs> you said we had some listeners from, uh, where was it, Sam? Somalia? Was it... <laughs> Who happen to have Sudan, millions yes. of dollars they want to trans- transfer to us. No, that was our five Nigerian listeners. All royalty, apparently. Great. <laughs> yeah. Right, and to all our listeners, wherever you are in the world, we'll see you next week. Please do keep on sending us money and penis pills. <laughs> Bye. See you later. Right, before we finish, just a quick word to tell you about our friends at Two Nymphs Walk Into a Bar. It's a cracking little podcast which mixes Greek mythology and cocktails. Because, of course, as all regular listeners to this little podcast know, nothing goes together like classics and booze. Two best friends from high school Latin class tell you about Greek myths and legends steeped in more scandal, sex, revenge and drama than you would ever believe. With the added benefit of a cocktail recipe for each character win. So do give them a listen at twonymphspodcast.com. That's all for this week. We will see you again soon.